Yeah, I'm fighting it today too. Anybody tired today? I am fighting it. That going back to school stuff, that's just for the birds, Joseph. Joseph, where you got to go Monday? You will say it, Joseph? Is it an ugly word? Joseph is not going to say it. He can't do it. can't bring himself to do it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fighting it today. So y'all help, help respond and help keep me awake while I do as I, as I need to do today. Look, if you'll find, just to start with, I find Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to read, we'll read 14 and 15 this time. That's a good place to start. And Brother Kyle just prayed for us, so we'll read and we'll go straight into what, we're, what we were sent here to do. Um, I have brand new papers, if you didn't get them, but they're kind of like, a lot like what we had last week, last couple of weeks. I sort of put it together, and so we, we'll, we'll finish up with that. Uh, in verse 15, or excuse me, in verse 14... The writer of Hebrews writes, For here we have no lasting city, but we the city, but we seek the city that is to come. More down there, Mama Jan. There you go. Good deal. Um, so uh Alright. So we For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We seek that city. Uh, we talked about it last week. Best way I could we have no refuge. We have no home. We are what Peter calls aliens and strangers. But yet what we seek is a lasting city. We want a place where we can be at home. And, and here we, he says, but we seek the city that is to come. There's something that's to come. And then our response to that in verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And I read that sometimes too fast, but He says, through Him then. So the fact that I'm seeking a city that is to come is the impetus, the fuel, the beginning of that act of praise. Because I'm seeking something that's coming. So why am I praising? Because I don't have a home, but I know there's a home coming. Now, I, we live somewhere. I live somewhere. I'm not homeless. I have a roof over my head. I don't mean it that way. I mean I'm finding some place where I can be at ease. You know, I was watching some things today, just kind of getting ready. Just being a leader stuff here was bad enough. Being a leader now in every fast of my life is a really weird thing. Because, you know... I'm out thinking about it almost constantly. And I was listening to a guy talk and watching things today, just kind of preparing that. And, and, and one of the things was the fact that, that I came to the realization that in most of our lives and most of our situations, the, our, our motivation is danger. Or, or to flee from danger. Why do we do what we're told at work? Because we'll get fired if we don't. Right? Education works on one type of motivation. Firing. You'll get fired. We'll, we'll fire you. We don't fire students. We don't fire anybody. We fire, we'll fire you. You're the one. As if fear is a great motivator. We all know that fear is a terrible motivator. Terrible motivator. However, this idea that we live a significant portion of our life in fear, thinking that something bad will happen, what would ever happen to us if we found ourselves in a situation where it dawned on us finally that we have nothing else ever to fear again. 
things. This is what having a home means. When you have a home, you don't fear. There's no anxiety in the eternal home. That's over. That's past. I fear because in my home even, that I've lived in with my family for 14 years, something bad could happen. Brother Buddy, there could be a fire. Or someone could break in. And something bad could happen to my family. And so I'm always fearful. We, we spend our lifetime sleeping with one eye open. The, in the eternal home, the city that is to come, we won't have the anxiety, the fear that defines our lives. That will all be past. I can't wait. Now, I don't have that now. So I don't praise because I have it. I praise because I know the city is coming. Do you understand? We praise. We have the fuel, this, 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 this inferno of praise that should be the definition of our lives. Why? Because we know there's coming a day when our fear dies. We know there's coming a day when there's no reason anymore for the tension and the anxiety and the problems of this world. They're all gone. In fact, many of us, let's just be blunt, are so so much creatures of a world of fear and anxiety that if we don't have something to be afraid of, what do we do? We invent something. We invent something to be tense about. It's almost like we feel if we stop being tense, we'll somehow turn loose and even worse things will happen. Heaven is the antidote to that. The eternal city means all that's of the past. That's of the fallen earth. It's of the flesh. And it's just as real and hardwired into us as it can be. But we have a reason to worship. So now let's talk about worship just a little bit more. Gladness, praise, all those ideas. The psalmist describes the joy of God's people in praise when he writes in Psalm 126.2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Our praise and the consternation of the nations is that we acknowledge that God has done great things. Now, I don't want to be too philosophical with this, but we do all acknowledge the fact that we are here, right? We are breathing. You are in this room with me. This is not a dream, nor is it a nightmare. My, me and your dreams would probably be a nightmare. I understand that. Cool with that. I got it. Me and my own dreams is a nightmare most of the time. I want somebody else in my dreams. It would be somebody else. But the deal is, is that we're here. And so at the very least, we acknowledge the fact that we have been blessed with what? Existence. That we are present here. But I guarantee you, as difficult as things may be, and, and we were, I mean, I've been praying recently about just the heavy hearts that are virtually always in this room. Not occasionally, but always present. Heavy hearts. How difficult it is when the heart is heavy, to see reasons for praise. And how easy it is to have all of the fuel for your praise devoured in an instant by sorrow. It is an easy thing to do. And so, if there's one of those things that we do when we come here, we don't say, get over it. Because we, we live in a, as much as we live in a therapeutic culture, we live in an anti-therapeutic culture also that what we say is, is that we're going to apply biblical truth to that. 
that when, when sorrow defines your life, we are going to point to the goodness of Scripture. Crushed under the weight of glory are those tribulations of today. We're going to look to heaven. Because even if life is defined by sorrow, the next is not. The next is the antidote to that. In the midst of that, the nations rage against us. Why? Because God is doing great things. Our, swallow, our sorrow swallowed up in victory. Devoured by the goodness of God. Our praise and our gladness are an emotional, logical reaction to the work of Christ in saving our souls. Why, why, why rejoice? Salvation. Blood-bought, bulletproof, unlosable, unexchangeable salvation. God has caused us to be born again out of the muck and the mire of humanity. To be new men and new women who carry with them now the image of the glory of God. The work of God through the Son of God and the power of God through the Holy Spirit of God transforming the children of God into the image of God. I'm paraphrasing H.B. Charles. He said it today. I heard it. But I wasn't ever going to say it right. I knew that. He's just better than I am. But we're being transformed. That's, 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 if there's any reason to praise, there it is. Saving ourselves, providing for our needs. I don't know if y'all do that or not. I've noticed that when I pray at home, like, like for, uh, for Thanksgiving for meals, that I pray for provision all the time. Do you know why? Because I'm scared about provision. I am. I'll be the first to tell you. I'm scared about provision. So the, the idea now is that I sit here and I acknowledge this, that God is meeting our needs. You are here now, not just physically, but you're here now financially. Because God, in His infinite, in His infinite love and joy, has met your needs. And you're here and you're able to be here. Protecting us from harm. Nurturing our winsome nature. Protecting us from harm. Nothing, nothing bad has happened today. We can't have said that all year. The last two years have been tough. But today He has protected us from harm. And we are eternally thankful. Because this is a world that does nothing but bring harm. But then nurturing our winsome nature, and I said that in the, in the funniest way, sometimes I even regret it, but I think, no, that's pretty close. It's not just that. It's that I'm, we're weak and we're fickle and we're frail. And if God didn't have His hands upon our very soul right now, all of us wouldn't be here. None of us is so committed to Him that we would just come in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our anger or our frustration or our apathy. The fact of the matter is that we are here today enjoying the presence of the living God, hearing His Word preached. Why? Because God sustained our very faith. Because the very simple truth is the reason why uh, we are most clear that you cannot lose the faith that Christ died to give you is because if you could, you would. But you can't, not because of your efforts, but you can't because of His. 
Your, grace is, the, your, your faith is maintained every day by the grace of God and not by any works you could do. There's no human maintenance, but there's divine maintenance. God has caused you to keep it. What you could never earn, God has caused you to never lose. Two aspects of the previous week's preaching have to be dealt with today before we can truly have a unified understanding of what we must be as a church. First, we must define praise more clearly as is related to us by the Scriptures. And next, we must address the heart of the Christian, or at least the heart that the man or woman who is born again ought to have. We've got to look at hearts, because in the end, in the depths of that person, in the depths of that person, the, the, the place without language, even, is the place where we have to address that's no, not intellectual. It's fed by the intellect. It's informed by the intellect. But it's deeper than that. It's the transformed heart. We have, to, we have to talk about that. What should it be? Both leftover ideas harmonize, define praise, and then solidify our knowledge of that subject about which we owe praise to God. C.S. Lewis described gladness in mere Christianity. He said the happiness which God designs for His higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to Him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight, compared with which the most rapturous love between a man or a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. And for that they must be free. Praise is an outpouring and a byproduct of the expanded heart and mind that is attuned to the glories of God. Theoretically, praise spans the depths of our emotions and their heights. Praise would be consistent. On the highest mountain, elevated the most by personal accomplishment, the praise is clearly sung out. In the depth of the valley where we never thought we would be, where we've lost everything, the praise would be there too. Praise would be a condition of heart and mind, a lifestyle, an overarching attitude that is the definition of the change God has made in us. We praise because we're different. Not because our circumstances are different. Not because we don't suffer. We praise because we're different. It's the expression of, the, of that which can't be expressed. The groanings of that heart in Romans where we just don't have the words to talk about it. Well, why sing a hymn of praise? Because we don't have the words ourselves. Someone else had to speak for us. We have to connect ourselves to something that someone else spoke because we just don't have the words. What we feel is beyond all that. It's in the depths. It's in the depths of us. If praise is a defining... Excuse me. We are free... And that's why we sing. As free men and free women, we sing the praises of God. Even when freedom costs dearly. If praise is a defining and uniting characteristic of the New Testament church, then it's best that we commit ourselves to understand the meaning and the expectations of praise within the truth of the Bible. Three truths are evident. One, the focal passage says, Through Him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Praise is not necessarily worshiping as we expect it to, to be. Defined just by singing and musicians, 
choirs and soloists, but encompassing so much more. I can sing and not praise. I can praise and not sing. But there's that glorious time in which they come together. In which my singing is praise. We, we talk about and pray about and think about. And, and in many ways, our ambition is geared toward worship. Worship that, that in the most rudimentary, rudimentary way possible, reveals a, a minuscule glimpse of the glories of God in heaven. Of God's people acknowledging His greatness. As I've said, I just want to do it once. Just one time in my life. I want to do it one time. I want to really walk away and say, that I really praised God then. I'll be honest with you, as a man who's grown up, grown old in church, I will say to myself, I'm not sure. I think I tried, but I'm not sure I did before. That this praise that we talk about, that experience can feel elusive. can feel elusive. All I know is that, that I want it so desperately. Instead, for the Scripture praise is a concept that is discovered at the nexus of the action of worship, the attitude of thankfulness, and the condition of adoration. Now, I know I talk fancy, but, but we got it there. Worship that is filled with thankfulness and adoration of God. An adoration of God. That's praise. For many biblical writers, praise is generated by the thankfulness that comes from the self-sacrificial love of the Lord. The psalmist writes in Psalm 69 verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. Song is an integral part of worship and an indicator of a heart filled with praise, but the magnification, intensity, power, and authenticity come from being thankful. It's why praise and worship are not an aspect of talent. Because it can't be. It can't be a skill. It can't be a honed or refined ability. If it is, so many of us are left out. If it means only those blessed with those abilities can ever do this. It means the worst singer can be the greatest praiser. It means that the, that the instrument of praise in the life of the, of the human is the heart itself. The one instrument att rightly attuned to the will and purpose of God is the newborn heart. It's the only way it works. So when we come here on a Sunday morning, we're here on a Sunday night and, and we worship, God's what we call it, we worship. The reality is this, every instrument needs to be here came via a person. Everything else is just furnishings. It starts here in the depths of us. That's the connection that's got to be made. Peter expounds on this issue by stating that the real source of praise is the knowledge that Christ has died for our sins and been raised. Paving the way for our redemption, the resurrection of the living. As he writes in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter links them up right there. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It literally sounds like a hymn. Sounds like a psalm. He gives you this cryptic statement. It sounds just like it's taken out of the Psalms. And what does he say? Why? Because God had mercy. He caused us to be born again. We have a living hope. We don't guess. We don't think. We have anticipation of the greatest of rewards. Ultimately, the prophet Isaiah is clear that we will praise God based on His holiness and His sovereignty that have led the Lord to a perfect will for the world acted out since Christ spoke the world into creation. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 25 verse 1, O Lord, You are my God. I will exalt You. I will praise Your name for You've done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. What's his response? What's worship? He uses that amazing English word. Exaltation. To be lifted up. To be carried heavenward through the power of the living God. That, that man, it, it seems, and I don't want to in any way, in any way dictate for one thing. I don't want to say you've got to do this in worship for it to be legitimate. Because those things are, are attitude and thought and, and they're meditative. They are not position of your body. They are not. In fact, many times I think we've been in this room and, and I think a lot of us felt like the, the right position for our praise was our knees. Because we realized in the midst of, of worship that we were broken people. And that we must confess our sin. But this idea that this exaltation, that, that worship brings us closer to God. There's no way around it. Worship brings me closer to God. When I'm worshiping my God, when I'm praising Him, when the church is united by the praise of God, we are brought closer to Him. Now, I don't think, maybe I'm being clear about this. Why is that so important? Do you know Why? Because you need it. You need it. Don't think, don't lie and say you don't. Don't act like you can get by without it. You've got to have this. We are crumbling edifices of human lives every day. We are one windstorm away from just being brushed off the face of the earth. We cannot make it on our own. What we need is the look of the face of the living God. I need to see it. I need to see it every day. Because every single day, the self-talk in most of the lives in this room is, you're just not going to be able to do it. You know what? Think about how many times that happened in your life. Think about how many times you thought you were just going to fall in and somebody felt it or saw it in your face. And they told you just something as simple as I love you and you're going to make it. How much, how important that was. My gosh, how important it is when it comes from God Himself. How important it is when His Almighty just looks at His people and He says, you're not going to fall because I'm not going to let you. Because you're weak and my shoulders are infinitely wide. Full of infinite burdens. He carries it all. My worship 
Want to be close to Him? Some weird power? No. I just need to know it's going to be okay. I need to know it's going to make, I'm going to make it. And the exaltation of and when we exalt the living God, it's, it's confirmed. Since the beginning of time, the Lord has existed. Excuse me, the world has existed under the plan of God. No disaster nor disease is outside of His will or His sight. Understand this. Although He weeps with the brokenhearted, sorrow is not apart from His, from his will. A divine appointment offered to the believers so that Christ can be exalted. The binding of the wounds of the grieving is part of His sovereign plan and embracing it is joyous and a reason to praise our Lord. We praise God because when we're at that point and when we know we have people in our family that absolutely don't know where to turn, we understand this much that we know that God has never departed from them. We know that. We celebrate that. Folks, one of the hardest things I found maybe the hardest thing about being a pastor. It's not you know, talking about dealing with people and committees and, and all that. And that's not hard. It's just people. And that's in everybody's job. That's just like everybody else. Everybody's job is dealing with people. Unless your job is being a hermit, everybody's job is dealing with people. And that the hardest part is? It's when something just terrible happens to somebody. And you have nothing to tell them. Because your weak, frail words aren't going to fix their problem. And you know what you want to do? Fix their problem. You love them so much, you want to find just that right, that pearl of wisdom, that inspired thing that says, here, just hear this and everything will be okay. Let me tell you in this world, folks, it's going to be okay. God knows it's going to be okay. But there's no one sentence that's just going to take somebody's sorrow away. It's just not. But what is great is that we can point people to a Heavenly Father that knows their sorrows more intimately than they do and heals broken hearts and binds up wounds. Who keeps his promises. That's the wonderful thing. And that's part of praise. Two, for the Christian believer, praise is defining for our lives. Without praise, will be hollow and empty shells that are filled only with the stress and bitterness of demands and disappointments. The psalmist writes in Psalm 71 8, My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. This is the part where praise is. is is an ambition of ours. There's person, there's 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 skin in this game for me today, because I'm that a lot. I'm hollow and empty, and oftentimes I'm just filled with my stress and my bitterness, and all the demands that are placed upon me that I never felt like I could meet. And when that's what you go to bed with at night, and that's what you wake up with in the morning. It's a very burnt out life, isn't it? We need to have lives filled with praise because if not, they'll be filled with, with, with heartache and anger and frustration and bitterness. 
Our words and our lives are testimony to Christ. Each must be carefully monitored and groomed to fulfill the appointed mission. All our words and all our days are given to the glory of God. Praising Him is not an action or an event, but it's a lifestyle that comes with the new birth and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, it's not private. The psalmist writes in Psalm 109 verse 30, With my mouth I will give thanks to the Lord. I will praise Him in the midst of the throng. See, there's really where you found it. There's really where I've met it. I'm, I'm not there, guys. I never... Look, I may be a hypocrite because I come here and say this is what the Bible teaches, but I'm not a hypocrite because I say I do it. Do you understand? I say I'm there. I'm telling you, there's the ambition right there. Is that no matter what happens, in the midst of the throng, when the world's lined up against you, when your heart is so utterly broken that you think it'll never be put back together, in the midst of the throng, you praise the Lord. When you're Stephen and they're hurling the stones at you and your face shines. It's the, it's the effect of praise. It's the life of praise. And it's the death of praise. It's, it's what God calls us to. God calls His church to publicly praise Him literally in the throng, in the midst of the denying and the bullying world. When we face the figurative death of canceling, it's such a weird thing. We talk about stuff like that because it sounds like, you know, it sounds like the, the you know the, the the big media like visit upon this tiny little, you know, pipsqueak pulpit. But that's one of those strange things that happens on the micro level, on the macro level. When we're when we're in the threat of being canceled, of literally people that we care about just turning their backs on us. Not just in social media, but in real life. There's cost there. Christ calls the church to a new and ever-present boldness of praise. It's a weird thing. It almost sounds like God is saying to us, I don't care how cruel they are to you. Praise my name. Why would he say that? Because he's cruel? Not at all. He says that because the future is in his hands. Because there won't one stone land upon us that God didn't will to land. They have no power over you. None at all. Every, every insult and every blow is part of God's sovereign plan. And when it's over, you inherit everything. So I told Paul, all things are yours. Everything. Stubbornly insistent, the church must call attention to the glory of God even when confronted, when attacked, when marginalized, when humiliated. God is good all the time and the world must know. As Linda Ravenhill said, the world doesn't need a new definition of the gospel. It needs a new demonstration of the gospel. There's the call. Finally, three, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The new birth is memorialized through praise because our hearts are radically transformed by the new birth in Jesus. Why praise? Because I was so bad. I was so demonic in every thought and in every action. 
I was such a child of hell, a child of wrath. And that God has radically transformed this life into something He could never be without His attention. The new birth is memorialized through praise. Countless times in the history of the church, the new birth has taken literally evil men and women and transformed their lives into praise-filled testimonies to the power of Jesus. God saves murderers. God saves rapists. God saves... He saves people who've killed hundreds. Why? Why has the Damascus Road been repeated so many times by God? Think about men and women like John Newton. Slaver. Slaver. What could be more of an affront to the living God than to enslave human beings? Than to attack the image of God? It's as much an attack on the image of God as murder is. To deny the, not the dignity of humanity, but the dignity of God Himself. But He was saved for God's glory. Given through salvation a new language of love and praise exemplified in amazing grace. Think what God did. By way of our willingness to praise and our insistence on the personal language of praise in our lives, churches like ours will demonstrate the renewal and the rebirth that comes through Christ. Now listen, do not take this the wrong way. I didn't say this was easy. I said this was very intentional. It is a response to what God has done. It is despite our bitterness and our sorrow and the heartbroken nature, despite all the attacks in the world. I'm going to tell you like everything else associated with the gospel, folks. You step out in your throng and you praise and expect to be attacked. You step out in your throng and you praise and don't act like everybody's just going to clap for you. They're not. They're going to hate you. Because they hated our Lord before. This is intentional. This is something we pray that God does in us. This is something which we look back and we deny a lot of things. A lot of things. Some things that, to be honest with you folks, are very real. Are very real. I'll just say this. Only the chiefest of sinners can glorify God by persistent, public, and passionate praise. How many of you, when, you, when Paul called himself the chiefest of sinners, and you read it the first time, thought to yourself, that's the only term that describes me. There's never been a day of my life I have not felt like the most disgusting of sinners. I have not looked back at what I have done and thought to myself, how in the world does blood cover that? Oceans of blood needed to purchase my ransom. And Paul called himself the chiefest of sinners. He felt it to be true. He was not lying. I wonder if he knew that so many others would look at that and say, that's exactly who I am. Only the chiefest can really praise. Because we acknowledge the fact that we're chief. Look, the melancholy nature of our lives cannot restrict the gladness and praise that must overflow our lives as we acknowledge the infinite joy of Christ. This does not mean 
the believers live in bright and shadowless places. Instead, we often bear the unbearable in Jesus and endure the unendurable by His precious grace. It's why we need His touch constantly. Constantly. We never forget who made us. We never forget who brought us life and we never forget who brought us to new birth. And this idea that someday you can walk alone without help is nonsense. He will always be our crutch. He will always be the mechanism by which we stay upright. As life goes longer, we have more reason to fall than we ever did before, right? As a New Testament church, the life of this body must be defined by the gladness that we experience on a daily basis. At the same time, folks, this is a personal matter. We must choose to embrace and embody this attitude. I will continue to exemplify a darkness that's not our own. I think that's the thing that, that troubled me when I began this, so much of this part of this series. Was I thought to myself, there's so many of us so caught in, in darkness and fear and shame and regret and disappointment. That we were truly God's children. But the light we sh- that we were shining was a, was a dark light. We were still shackled. Not so much to sin, but to sorrow. There were things that we'd just never been able to walk away from. I've got one of those things in my life. That it took decades and decades of Christ for me to walk away from. It greeted me in the morning and it went to, me, went to bed at, at night with me. And it was only by the grace of God that it doesn't haunt me now. I said, this is personal. This is deep. It doesn't happen overnight. I realize that. It took me decades. Decades of prayer. Decades of tears. Decades of doubt and decades of fear. We are children of light whose hope is never in this world, but always in the next. What we need is for someone to teach us how to live in the light of Christ and not in the shadow of heartbreak. Paul spoke to this when he passionately wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 8-11, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of, in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Even when we're disheartened, we're distressed or disappointed, we do not surrender to despondency. The church does not give in to darkness. Because it is connected to the life of Christ. The gospel is always good news and always brings joy even in the midst of tribulation. Without the gospel, men and women languish in the sorrow of life. With the truth that comes, with the truth comes light and hope. The Apostle Paul understood the depth of our anguish and our melancholy. But he demands that the answer to our struggle is in Christ. 
as much as the answer to your sin was in Christ, the answer to every aspect of life is the body and the blood and the truth of Christ. He's the answer. Even though we are given over to death, as Paul says, we know that in our glad and joyous submission is the life that is in Christ alone. Isn't it so strange that when God calls you or I home, if it's, if it's now or tonight, what your death teaches is not death but life. Not an end but an infinite beginning. Not hopelessness, but hope. Not hate, but love. For the world, death is death. The cessation. For us, death is freedom. Joy. Tearless. We commemorate death with weeping. And God tells us that our death is the end of our tears. Everything that defines my life right now ends when I die. All the bad. What's left? Only the glory of God. As our Lord overcame every obstacle to the ultimate glorification of the Lord on the cross, He walked that Via Dolorosa, that way of pain, of suffering, carrying His cross, Agonizing every step so that he can finally be relieved of that agony with the utter agony of the cross itself. He does all of that to glorify God, to conquer death for us. So in that instant, death dies. He now lives and abides in his church to demonstrate this conquering of evil by the love of God. What the church demonstrates is that death has died, that evil has lost, and that God has won the ultimate victory. By the cross, the life of the believer is always worthwhile. Even when it doesn't feel worthwhile, our life is infinitely precious because it was bought by Jesus. It's ordained by God. You, you are not accidental. You are here now and breathing by the ordinance of God. God has spoken and you are here. This is part of His sovereign will. I can't tell you what to do with it. But I can tell you this much. If God has saved your soul, then He has a gospel design on your time. It's going to be useful for the church. Now, I, th I think, folks, that's not me. This is not me being being bitter about stuff. But I know this much. Even as the pastor, shamefully, there are often times I struggle with what the church does, and never occurs to me how how I can be of use. But if God has made slaves of our hearts. And we are living lives that are defined now by praise in every way. Not just in worship, but in every aspect of our lives. Then what am I seeking to do? God, how can I be of use? 
Suddenly no job is beneath me if I just want to be of use. Suddenly I don't need to be, I don't need to lead if I just want to be of use. When I'm of use, I'm real humble. When I'm prideful, I'm of no use, right? None at all. And fruitful for the kingdom. Now that was a hard one for me too, because folks, sometimes I don't feel very fruitful. But I'm going to say this, if we come together and the Word of God is preached and God's people hear and God's people in their hearts respond, we're being fruitful. We don't know. And we don't know where. And sometimes we don't know how. And, and maybe we never will, brother. But I do have that image that one of these days, when God's through with us and we have gone, that we'll find in heaven that our days were far more impactful than we thought. That those times we thought we failed, we didn't fail at all. The only hope for gladness for this church and for each of us is in the cross of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to preach your word. I pray that I've done it, Father God. I pray, God, that I have not allowed my emotions to overwhelm me, Father God. But, I, God, I felt desperate to preach tonight, Father God. I felt desperate, Father God, for you to use me tonight, Father. And I pray that you have. I pray, Father God, that you spoke through your word, Father God, by way of this servant to your people, Father God. I pray, Father God, that the word has been used, God, to make your people more like Christ today. I pray, Father God, that our hearts, God, I know, God, my heart's still so heavy. It's just a weight upon it, Father God. It feels unrelenting, Lord. And Father God, I know, Father God, that there are others in this room like me. But I know, Father God, that you are still good. That in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of suffering, Father God, you're still good. In the midst of pain or heartache, in the midst of pressure and, and stress, Father God, you're still good. And that... Father God, I commit my heart to showing it. Even when stressed out, Father God, even when broken hearted, God, I commit my heart to showing it. And I pray, Father God, that we now will come together today, Father God, as a church, and decide that the one thing we cannot do, Father God, is ignore this. That we're going to live, live lives of praise, Father. We're going to live lives of praise, Father God, that are infectious. That draw people in. That bring them here, Father God, so they can hear. Why should we live a life of praise, Father God, so that the gospel can be proclaimed? So the doors can be laid open, Father God. The hearts, Father God, made bare. And that your people, Father God, would be able to pronounce the gospel message into the lives of those who, who don't even know they need it, Father. God, we praise you now. We love you, God. I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for this family that I dearly love. And I pray, God, that our hearts, God, can now show the love that dwells in us. In the name of Christ, I pray for you. Amen.